So we continue our series on the greatest sermon ever. Nick's going to come and join me at the front. Uh, Nick's going to be speaking today. Let me pray for Nick as we hand over. So Father, I thank you for Nick. I thank you for, uh, for speaking to him through this, 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 these last few weeks as he's been preparing. And Father, I pray that you open our hearts now to hear what you have to say to us. So use Nick uh, to speak to us, we pray in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Steve. That was great. It's amazing how God overrules in things that we do. I wasn't aware when I came here this morning of what was going to be done on the video earlier on. There are some parallels which you might well pick up if you listen, that is. <laughs> Let me begin by doing our re- taking our reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. This is towards the end of the um, Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever used, ever told. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Jesus said, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now the title given to this talk is God Loves a Cheerful Giver. It's a quotation from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. God loves a cheerful giver. But what does giver actually mean? Is it related to what Jesus refers to in our reading as acts of righteousness? Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, is appealing for funds, for money for the church in Macedonia, where who were struggling to get themselves set up. He was talking about giving money. But is this what Jesus is talking about in our reading from Matthew the 6? Matthew 6. Was it just about giving money? Acts of righteousness. I looked it up in the in the um, uh, Oxford English Dictionary, among other things, and I found that other words that are used for the same thing. The word is arms. Have you ever heard the word arms? And the definition of that is a religious act, as we've seen, inspired by compassion and a desire for just justice. Alms given was, of course, a prime religious duty for the people who were observing Jews at that time. A 
Another definition from the Oxford English Dictionary this time is alms means the charitable relief of the poor. That brings us another word, the word charity. So what does the word charity mean in terms of giving? A good deed, the OED says, a good deed, service to God. But the word charity has changed its meaning over the years, since biblical times. Nowadays, of course, we think about giving to charity as giving our used clothes to the Oxfam shop. Or perhaps making a donation to an, um, um, a good cause. That's charity, isn't it? But that isn't what the word used to mean. In the Anglican Church, we've got a, an ancient book called the Prayer Book, which was written in the 17th century. And it talks about the necessity for worshippers to be living in love and charity with your neighbours. The word charity in those days meant not just giving money. I mean, obviously, giving money is important. It meant giving yourself. And that is the clue, perhaps, to Jesus' meaning. It's not about money or things. It's about giving yourself. Paul uses the word most famously in 2 Corinthians, verse 13. Uh, sorry, chapter 13, a bit further on from the bit we quoted earlier. These three remain, says Paul, faith Hope, and what the NIV translates as love, but in actual fact is the word charity. Faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. And of course it was all written in Greek in those days. Now Greek may, seem the may mean the same to you as it does to me. Not very much. The Greek word is agape. And interestingly, when we were watching our video this morning, we talked about love as being an upcoming duty, if you like, for our church. The word agape, which is used in the New Testament, used by Paul, actually means self-giving love. In other words, it means not just demonstrating affection and liking and love and caring for other people. It means giving oneself to other people giving ourselves that's the lesson we must give ourselves to anyone in need and it's to be done says Jesus in private in other words it's not to be seen by other people you're not to, other people are not necessarily to know what you are doing now over that over the centuries that teaching has become characteristic of our culture it's become a byword if you like charity for caring and service giving oneself has become a duty whether you're a Christian believer or not it's part of the culture and we've seen it haven't we in what's happened in the last couple of years have we not seen People giving themselves to other people who were in need.
whether the people who were doing the caring were believers or not. I used to work in a hospital up in the north. I was a sort of hospital chaplain, if you like, in a big district general hospital in Yorkshire. And I used to go into the staff room and I would see all the nursing staff and the medics and the porters and the cleaners and everybody else sitting down, drinking their tea or coffee, getting their refreshments, gossiping, sometimes even swearing. And I used to think to myself, these people are not believers, most of them. Most of them never go anywhere near church. But whether they acknowledge it or not, they are doing the work of God. They are charitable people. And in the last year or so, we've seen that, have we not? Anybody who's been in touch with or contact with anything in the NHS, for example, will have seen people giving their time tirelessly to the needs of other people. And it was the ordinary people who did it. Not despite what they might claim, not the elite or the politicians. It was ordinary people like us. Many of them actually volunteers. When I went along for my um, jab, my COVID jab, I noticed that the majority of the people who were helping there were volunteers. They weren't getting paid. They were giving themselves for the needy, for other people. That gives us a clue, perhaps, to another lesson from today's reading. Why are the ordinary people so important? Have you ever wondered why on earth would God send somebody like Jesus, his son, along to his earthly ministry as a young country rabbi from a disreputable part of the country? Have you ever thought of that? A carpenter's son, would you believe, from Nazareth. Not only that, but a carpenter's son claiming to be God. In John's Gospel, Jesus is quoted 24 times as using the word I am to describe himself. And I am, as we've talked a little bit, I am had become the name of God since Moses stood before the burning bush and the voice came out and said, you remember, I am who I am, the name of God. And this young man, this young upstart from nowhere, was claiming to be him. Disgraceful, blasphemous even. Religious leaders didn't claim to be God. And worse, he actually said, you have to have a personal relationship with him in order to be saved, in order to achieve salvation and redemption. Just imagine if the door, the door already is open, suppose through that door walked a young, talented street preacher 
who came up to the front here and told me to shut up, before any of you do, he told me to shut up and said, I am God. And not only that, you can only be saved through me. How would we feel? How would we react to this youngster appealing, saying something like that? Why on earth would God have had somebody from a, an ordinary background to come and say and do such things? Oh, yes, he was talented. Oh, yes, he was no doubt, no doubt from God because he had miraculous powers. But being God himself, even perhaps his believers, his followers, didn't necessarily go along with that. They had a lot to learn, didn't they? And they would, in fact, learn. But why would God do it that way? I mean, if Jesus had come along as, say, the son of Caesar, the Roman emperor, and said, I am God, nobody would have batted an eyelid because the Caesars were in the habit of saying, I am God. So he could do it. But for this youngster to do it, another thing altogether. Why come as an ordinary person? Why recruit all your followers from the ranks of ordinary people like us? The riffraff, if you like. Fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, people of no account. Why? Why, after his death and resurrection, did Jesus come back Instead of the shining white robes, which we've celebrated recently, thinking about the transfiguration, instead of all that, he came back, presumably, in his ordinary rabbi's clothes or other ordinary street clothes at the time. Why? Because he was one of us. He was one of them. That's why he went in that way and why he came in that way. And the purpose of God unfolds. He, Jesus, had a task for them, for us, for the ordinary people to do. But later in the gospel, he says, all authority, and we quoted this earlier as well, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore you go. He didn't say you, but that's what he meant. You go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And of course, by this time, they understood who he was. And they did go. And they started the greatest faith movement the world has ever seen. Amongst ordinary people. They went amongst the people they met and knew and they talked to them about Jesus and they showed them what Jesus meant by giving themselves. And it spread like wildfire across the known world at the time. So many people came to follow Jesus that a couple of hundred years later, the Roman emperor himself declared that Christianity, which was the name for this new faith, Christianity would be the official religion of the Roman Empire. Some people think that's when the, truly, uh, the, the trouble started. But never mind. 
That is what happened historically. You cannot deny it. It is an historical fact. And it is still spreading today among ordinary people, people like us. The task remains the same, even in this anxious time. And we've seen it, haven't we? We've seen so much anxiety just recently. And now it is up to us. We are the ones who are told to go. And we have to spread the news that we have. The good news. And we have to demonstrate Christian values of caring and of charity. They have prevailed over the last couple of years, mostly. There are some people who, who have ignored them, of course. But most people have taken our culture of charity and used it for other people in need. And we must ensure, our job is to ensure that it continues to prevail in what are going to be even more challenging times, I suspect, ahead. And just remember this before you go out and become joyful givers of yourselves. He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. Praise the Lord. Amen.